Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. So this is Nate. Uh, he will introduce himself, but I just wanted to say I've known Nate probably young. I was in middle school. Yeah, he was in middle school probably. Um, his dad and I worked over at Royal Redeemer together in the 90s. And... Um, Oh, and I just think it's good for us as a church to hear from different people in the congregation. So Nate is going to bring the message today. Thank you. So as you just uh, said my name, but if you don't know me, my name is Nathan Tim. My family and I have been going to Community of Hope for about six years now. About two months ago, Pastor Doug asked if I'd be willing to try giving a sermon. My first thought was absolutely not. Um, but I've been trying this new thing lately. When, uh, when I feel like God is pushing me towards something, I pull back and take all the thoughts of reasons why I can't do it or I shouldn't do it, um, and I just say yes. So I said yes. Um, we're a little out of order. Um, last week, Pastor Doug talked about uh, Ephesians 6, where he talked about the whole armor of God. And then the week before was chapter 4, where he talked about the unity in the body of Christ. And today we're going to do chapter 5. Paul starts off in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, by saying, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in the love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What kind of picture do you get when you think of the imitation, imitating God? What do you think God looks like? Um, some of you might have to think of a, just a larger-than-life person um, being powerful, and uh, I kind of got this picture in my mind. Uh, just the man behind the curtain, the man that runs everything. This one kind of stuck in my mind a little bit of an image of Christ. It's just this, this bright light, this all-powerful, not of this world, almost alien-like, but just all-powerful and all-bright. Paul tells us uh, in 1 and 2 that it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So he gave himself up for us, and he's a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus 5, uh, 3, verse 5, it says, That Aaron's son shall burn in it on the altar on top of a burnt offering, which is on the wood, on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So in the Old Testament, sacrifice was you would take a lamb or an animal, whatever, you sacrifice this to God, you put it on the wood and the fire, and then the burnt meat, but the, the smell would go up with the smoke up into God, and God would find that, um, that smell pleasing. That all changed with Jesus Christ when he died for us and became the sacrifice. Instead of the sacrifice that is pleasing to God being the aroma that's going up there, it is the action, the action of God sacrificing for us. So now God likes the smell of believers who are living a love, loving, sacrificial life. Paul tells us a little bit about, a little bit more about imitating a God in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through lust, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, 
and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He finishes in 31 to 32 by saying, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Rick Warren puts that into a different, uh, a different wording, but still meaning the same thing. He says, lust is about sacrif- uh, satisfaction. So lust has nothing to do with sacrifice. It's just satisfaction. But love is about sacrificing, serving, surrendering, sharing, supporting, and even suffering for others. And then he ends with most love songs are actually lust songs. This story, I'm actually going to read it because I, I like how they word it, but it shows a sacrifice. So in the book written in blood by Robert Coleman, it tells the story of a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion. The doctor explained that she had the same disease the boy had recovered from two years earlier. Her only chance for recovery was a transfusion from someone who had previously conquered the disease. Since the two children had the same rare blood type, the boy was an ideal donor. Would you give your blood to Mary, the doctor asked. Johnny hesitated, his lower lip started trembling, then he smiled and said, sure, for my sister. Soon the two children were wheeled into the hospital room. Mary, pale and thin, Johnny, robust and healthy. Neither spoke, but when their eyes met, Johnny grinned. As the nurse inserted the needle into his arm, Johnny's smile faded. He watched the blood flow through the tube. When the ordeal was, o- was almost over, his voice, slightly shaken, broke the silence. Doctor, when do I die? Only then did the doctor realize why Johnny had hesitated, why his lip had, had trembled when he agreed to donate his blood. He thought giving his blood to his sister meant giving up his life. In that brief moment, he made a great decision. Johnny, fortunately, didn't have to die to save his sister. Each of us, however, has a condition more serious than Mary's, and it required Jesus to give not just his blood, but his life. So John in uh, chapter 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. I think in the story uh, about Johnny and Mary, I think Johnny thinks, kind of like a lot of us do, that to sacrifice to God actually means to lay down your life, to literally die for him. And some, some people, that is what he requires. But I think for a lot of us, it's sacrificial looks a little bit different. Sacrificing could be to forgive someone that has wronged you. It could be to sacrifice and help a family member that needs help. It could, it could be just spreading the gospel. It could be many things, but doesn't always include dying for him. That was imitation of God. So now Paul moves into light, what I call light and dark. So light and dark. Ephesians 5, 3 through 6. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. I find the bottom that sin is progressive. And I think uh, Paul is telling us that sin is progressive. And I wanted to point out a little bit on the up a little bit there. It says, let 
there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. In a commentary by William Barclay, he tells a he talks about the Persians back in biblical time. And the Persians had a rule that there were certain sins that weren't even allowed to be talked about. The reason they had this was because they believed that once you talked about it, that it then it entered in your mind. And once it's in your mind, it could fester. And then once it festered, that would move you closer to the actual sitting. When I was reading this, I kept thinking of the children's song that goes, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Because the Father up above is looking down with love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. That's the closest you'll ever hear me sing. Uh, uh, but the, the song finishes not just be what you see, but what you hear, what you say, what your hands touch. C.S. Lewis puts it in this way. He says, hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you are still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it. In each of us, there's something growing, which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. I think he points out a very great point that all of us do have something that is growing inside of us. It, it could be many different things, but it's growing there. Unless we shine the light of Jesus on it, it has a chance to keep growing. The light of Jesus is the only thing that can kill it or stop it. So some of you guys know my story. Um, when I was about 20, I started drinking. I, I didn't drink all the time, but I... I would drink when I'd go out with my friends, and, and ever since I was young, I was shy, and I have dealt with anxiety. So I found out when I would go out with my friends and I would drink alcohol that I would be able to not be shy and not be anxious. So I thought this was great. So I continued doing that. I would go out with my friends. I would drink. Um, after a while, I would find other reasons to drink, but uh, not just go out with my friends, but even if I went to the movies, I needed to drink because I was technically out in public, but I did this for about, about four or five years, and for the most part, it worked all right for me. I, I would be able to do the things I wanted to do, be social, see people, and not have to worry about this anxiety that I have. So somewhere around 25, 26, um, I've been drinking for a long time at that point, and it started to really affect my life. I was having problems at my job, I was losing friends, uh, I was losing a lot of money, um, and my close relationships started to have, started to affect them a lot. So I told the people that close to me that I was going to go to like an outpatient rehab place and do that to stop drinking. Now I wasn't actually planning on quitting drinking. I was hoping that if I said I was getting help, I could keep doing what I wanted to do, what I felt like I had to do to, to keep my anxiety in check but they would lay off me for a little while. So that worked for about a year, and then around 27, things were quite bad. I was drinking a lot, and it was affecting just about everything. And I decided that I needed to, I needed to probably quit drinking. So I started going to rehabs and stuff like that. I would like to say that at that point, everything got better, and I quit drinking, and um, that's the end of my story. But it's not. Um, in fact, I think, things got a lot worse then. I, uh, I started drinking all the time. I was drinking in the morning, the afternoon, the evening. I, in my mind, had rules that I wasn't supposed to drink at certain times, but uh, I broke all those. And I did this for about two years. I would wake up every morning and say, today I'm not going to drink. And by the end of the day, I was drunk and, or passed out. And 
wake up the next day and again say, I'm not going to drink today. And then I went on and on and on. For two years I went on. Every day I'd say I wouldn't drink. One day I woke up and said, I'm not going to drink today. And the other day came and I didn't drink. And then the next day, the other day came and I didn't drink. And that went on and on and on and on until, well now I'm about 11 and a half years since I, I drank. I'm going to get back to the story in a second, but maybe. So, in Ephesians, Paul mentions, uh, chapter 5, verse 6, Paul tells us, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. I want you to focus on the wrath of God. In Romans, maybe, in Romans 1, 22-25, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, of the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man, and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts and impurity. So, God gave them up. So, what do you think when you think of the wrath of God? When I think of the wrath of God, I think of like Noah's Ark, floods of the earth, or Sodom and Gomorrah. I think of, kind of like this picture, God coming down all angry and wiping things out. I think Romans is telling us that part of the wrath of God is giving them up to their sins. So back to my story a little bit. One of the main things I think that kept me in those two-year cycle of, of trying not to drink but drinking was I think God looked at past, well, at that point, seven years of me putting alcohol first in his spot, me relying on alcohol for everything, to fix everything, to help everything. So if I was happy, I would go drink. If I was sad, I'd go drink. If I was angry, I'd go drink. If I felt like I had anxiety or I was going to have anxiety, I'd go drink. I think the only way that that cycle ended, for, and I do believe God gave me up to it, was me placing God back into his rightful place as number one and removing alcohol and putting it out. So, so breaking the cycle, I was able to, if I was sad, I could go to Jesus. If I was mad, I could go to Jesus. If I was happy, I could praise Jesus. And if I was anxious, I could rely, rely on Jesus. Now, I still have anxiety, if you're wondering. And if you give, uh, I would say, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm probably at like 11 right now. But, <laughs> but I don't have to rely on the alcohol part of it. I can, uh, I can rely on Jesus to get me through it. So we talked about the dark a little bit. Now, what does walking in the light look like? Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies to the Lord with your heart. I'm going to stop there for one second because I am very happy it says with your heart. I have zero musical ability. About the only thing I can play is maybe the radio, and I get that wrong half the time. But, uh, so I'm happy it's, uh, it's, just, it's with your heart. You don't have to actually do it out loud. So, and it says, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying that to walk in the light, you are supposed to um, address the other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Um, 
but also giving thanks always for everything is how you walk in the light. So I, I was thinking about it, just a small example of what uh, giving thanks for is. Sometimes giving thanks is not always easy. So just a small example is, I work for a company that runs group homes with, for adults with developmental disabilities. And like most offices, um, there's lots of people there. They have their own ideas, their own thoughts, their own beliefs. And you don't always mesh. Some people you just don't really care for. Some, sometimes you work well. But, but when things are not working well, I try to think of things that I can be thankful for. So in that example, I can be thankful for uh, that I have a job. Uh, I can be thankful that it pays me money and I can pay my bills. But moving a little step forward into that example is I also sometimes go work in the houses and these individuals, some of them aren't able to take care of their normal daily stuff. So when you're working in the house, you have to deal with um, helping them toilet, helping them shower, helping them if they get sick and stuff like that. And some of that stuff can at times be kind of gross and it's not really for everybody. But um, when I'm in those situations and I'm thinking, how can I be thankful that I have to clean up this mess? Um, I think about, again, things that I can be thankful for. And in, in that situation, I think about how I get to share their, in their life and help them learn, help them improve, help them do better. But in, in the same sentence, they get to help me. They help me just be thankful for things. They help me, they teach me things all the time. They show me joy. They show me joy, they could be going through the hardest time in the world and they're happy and, and they're thankful for everything. And they show me that, that life is about being thankful. I'm going to wrap this up. Oh, sorry. If that's not enough for you just to be thankful and to walk in the light, I read this, uh, this article. It says it's scientifically proven benefits of gratitude. So not only do you get to walk in the light to being thankful, you get these benefits too. So it says, one, gratitude opens the door to more relationships, improves physical health, improves psychological health, enhances empathy and reduces aggression, helps people sleep better, improves self-esteem, increases mental strength. So not only by following Paul, what he says in Ephesians, and walking in the light, you also get these benefits too. I'm gonna to finish on just a few questions hopefully you guys can think about over the, the next week. One is, am I an imitator of Christ? With my words, action, and deeds, what fragrance do I leave behind? Is it Christ-like? And do I reflect the light of God to the world filled with darkness? Um, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you created us in your image, and then you ask us to imitate you. I ask that you help us take the image of you and walk in the light and show that to the world that we come in contact with. Not just our family, but our friends, um, people at work, people at the grocery store. And I ask that you look at, help us look inside us and see what, what darkness is growing in us and what sin is growing in us and help us shine your light on it, Lord. And help us always place you in your rightful place as number one. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.